0: The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com.
1: School board members have a legal responsibility to evaluate their superintendent on an annual basis. But for many board members, the process can seem a little bit daunting. In this episode, the leadership development team answers commonly asked questions that will help your team effectively evaluate the performance of your superintendent. Let's call this meeting to order. My name is Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development at the New York State School Boards Association. And on this episode of The President's Gavel, I'm joined by Jamie McPherson. Jamie is the Deputy Director of Leadership Development. Good afternoon, Jamie. Good
0: afternoon, Darcy.
1: And Mark Schneider, our Leadership Development Manager. Thank you, Darcy. I'm happy to join you. Mark and I recently facilitated a live virtual training on the superintendent evaluation. And I believe just over a hundred of our members joined Mark and I online and throughout the training, they were asking questions many board members have. So today we are asking and answering some of those questions for our listeners who perhaps were unable to attend the training. Mark, this first question is for you. Where is the data found for the superintendent evaluation? And when and how is it collected?
2: Well, Darcy, for an evaluation to be considered fair and unbiased, it must be based on evidence that can support the board's rating of the superintendent. So in other words, there must be documented proof to support that the superintendent is effective or highly effective, etc. So without this evidence, The evaluation is likely to be based on opinions formed through personal interpretation or hearsay or unrelated and often biased judgments. Now, the first and most obvious source of this evidence is from the board members own experiences. In personal and group interactions with the superintendent, at board meetings, in reviewing district data, there's a lot of information right there that can and should be cited when evaluating the superintendent. And other sources of evidence include meeting minutes, anything written for publication, presentation notes, records of appointments. There really is a long list of evidence sources that a board member has at their disposal. When we discuss the use of evidence during our evaluation workshops, we are always asked without fail, we're not with the superintendent all day, every day, why can't we just ask the teachers and the administrators for their feedback on the superintendent's performance? And this type of evaluation, often called a 360 evaluation, is not one that we recommend. The feedback received from staff is often subjective and it's usually riddled with their own personal biases, both positive and negative, that are not helpful in assessing the ability of the superintendent to do the job. These biases are always heightened in times of district stress or budget development or contract negotiations, so there's a lot of variables that could uh, impact the feedback that's received. Additionally, 360 evaluations tend to be unreliable because of a lack of participation. Without obtaining a response from all staff, we end up with feedback that's not representative because all voices are not able to be heard. And another source of evidence actually comes from the superintendent himself. In a critical step in the evaluation process, the superintendent will complete what's called a self-evaluation. And in this self-evaluation, the superintendent will have the opportunity to supply the board with evidence that can and should be used in the evaluation. Darcy, as the architect of our evaluation instrument, why don't you talk about the self-evaluation a bit more in depth?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'd be happy to do that. So several years ago, when we developed the instrument, we did do some assessment to try to close the gaps in the process to make sure that board members were going to be able to do a fair and effective evaluation. And just like you mentioned earlier, board members are not working or living in the district day to day, and so they don't necessarily have the opportunity to see the work or the performance of the superintendent. And one of the ways in which we have determined a board can close the gap is to request from the superintendent before the beginning of the school year, a superintendent's self-evaluation. That would be where the superintendent works to collect evidence throughout the school year toward all the things they are subjected to in their responsibilities and whatever goals they might have to be able to prove their performance and effectiveness. And by the end of the school year, the superintendent would fill out the same instrument as their board members. Then he or she would rate themselves on the standards, on the goals that have been set for them, and would utilize the evidence and data available to them. This process is about providing evidence-based proof of a superintendent's overall performance. It allows board members to review the evidence their superintendent used to evaluate themselves. And in turn, their superintendent can understand why their board gave them high or low ratings on their evaluation. And I think it is important to note that the New York State Council of School Superintendents do agree this process is a best practice for a superintendent evaluation.
2: This self-evaluation is no different than what's expected of the teachers and administrators in the district as well, as when they are evaluated through their APPR, most of them are usually asked to provide some sort of evidence on their own and complete some self-evaluation. So this is really something that is in line with the practices of the entire district.
1: Amy, I'd like to switch over to you and ask you the next question. So what are the superintendent goals and how do we define them?
0: And the short answer here is superintendent goals are derived from the district goals in which the board and superintendent will agree upon three to five performance objectives that really focus on the top priorities for the district. District goals define the big picture and they need to be translated through the levels of the system, meaning they need to be aligned throughout the district, throughout each building, the department, as well as across curriculum and grade levels. Now, this type of alignment helps to focus resources and efforts in the district, which are gonna help eventually lead to more successful outcomes and what you wanna see within the district. So the annual performance goal for the superintendent should also be aligned to the vision goals for the district really what we're asking when we develop the superintendent goals is what expectations can we set with the superintendent to help meet district goals over the next school year so when defining goals for the superintendent it's really recommended that the process be done as a collaborative undertaking between the board and superintendent Through a collective conversation, really, you want the board and superintendent to use that strategic plan or to use that framework of district goals to help identify what are the top priorities that the superintendent needs to focus on. And then you want to translate those into that SMART goal format, meaning they should be specific, they're measurable, they're achievable, they're results focused, and they're time bound. Now, when setting these goals, it's really important to discuss the desired result. What is it that you're asking the superintendent to accomplish and what is it that you wanna see as a result? And then you really wanna have that conversation as Mark talked about the data, right? What what is the evidence that the superintendent is going to be supplying to show that we're working towards that? What are those performance indicators that we're gonna use to help measure progress and to determine whether or not these goals have been attained? But again, you wanna focus the superintendent goals to the top priorities of the district. You want them aligned to those big picture goals for the district. And again, really engaging in this type of process, you're gonna help set clear expectations and it's really gonna greatly assist the board in evaluating the performance of the superintendent. So, you know, Darcy, I, I think this really kind of flows into the next question that we often hear. You know, how do we get board members to cooperate? How do we build this buy-in so everybody's filling out the superintendent evaluation?
1: Well, once again, that's a great question, Jamie, and one that we've also entertained during our training, and it does come up repeatedly. We've done this training now for four or five years, and this is a common question. And what I always want to say to our board presidents is leadership is up to you. The way the board president does this is imperative. It's important that board members understand the expectation of them in this process. And one of the ways to really do that is to invest the time and the attention. So consider the time and attention you're giving to it. It's important, as it should be, to make the time, discuss the process and the instrument. Hopefully, you're doing that over the summer before the school year begins. You're reviewing the process and the instrument with the board and with the superintendent. So everybody is clear, and if there are any questions, they're addressed at that time. It does send a message about how important engagement is by each and every board member. And don't forget, the superintendent is the most important employee of the board and the top educational leader of the district. We spend lots of money to hire and maintain the superintendent, and he or she is a good working investment and worth every member's time. If a board member unfortunately chooses not to participate, which does sometimes happen in the superintendent's evaluation, the board should just continue on in their process and move forward. If, in fact, the board is struggling to come up with an instrument or there is confusion, take the time out to do a summer retreat to discuss these issues. Or if the board is unsure about the instrument, they may decide to create an ad hoc committee to discuss the options and then make a recommendation to the Board of Education. The board can then discuss the recommendation with the superintendent and ensure the instrument is in compliance with the superintendent's contract and the process as well. At this point, everyone should be in agreement regarding the instrument and time commitment it will take to complete this process before the school year gets started. So you are at the end of the process, you completed the instrument and now the evaluation is filed in the superintendent's personnel file. So what is FOILABLE? The answer is you are allowed to release the numeric rating scores, but any narratives or written opinions are subject to confidentiality laws and are not foilable. This is just a good takeaway for board members and district clerks to be aware of. Well, it looks like we are just about out of time today. I want to say thank you to my colleagues in leadership development for joining me on another episode of the President's Gavel. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you, Mark.
0: Thank you very much, Darcy. It was a pleasure being here and doing
2: this.
1: Yes, thank you. And as always, thank you to the NISBA staff working behind the scenes. Thank you, Megan Janeiro, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Maiello. My name is Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development at the New York State School Boards Association. And this has been a production of the President's Gavel. And this meeting is now adjourned.